0: Let's all pray together. God of Holy Trinity, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the blessing of life that we have in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the privilege of ministry that we have to serve you as ambassadors of the gospel You give our lives purpose and meaning. You give us life. You care for us. God, I pray that as a church, as your church, as part of your bride, that you would help us to serve you. That your spirit wouldn't just guide us, but your spirit would lead us. As Moses said, God, don't send me up from here unless your presence goes with us. There's nothing else that will distinguish me and your people from all the other nations on earth unless your presence goes with us. God, forgive us as a church for oftentimes getting wrapped up in stuff that has nothing to do with you and your love and the gospel and your mission. That we start to become proud of ourselves and our programs. And the things that we do, and we never truly reach anyone for your glory. So God, keep us in your care. Teach us. Correct us where we go astray. Help us to be ambassadors of your love. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we continue our Equip series, we finished up the Sermon on the Mount last week. And what's interesting is that the Sermon on the Mount is over, and it transitions in our Bibles into chapter 8. And the title of today's sermon is Equipped by, with, and for, and that's intended... It's intentionally intended to leave you hanging. Say that seems like a really goofy title for a sermon. Equipped by, with, and for. We're in Matthew chapter 8. We're going through verses 1 through 4. Here we go. Equipped by God. Equipped by God. I think it's easy for us to oftentimes forget... Just the awesomeness of who God is. I could tell that that... I, I feel like we're still kind of there. We forget how awesome God is. Is that at the name of God, at the idea and the concept of God Almighty, Scripture tells us that God alone is worthy of all glory and honor and worship and praise. And I think within our individual lives, I think within the culture of the American church, even within the culture of our church, the recognition and the reality and the worship and the fear and the awe of who God is oftentimes falls on deaf ears and stone hearts. In 8.1 we read, Having come down from the mountain... He had a vast crowd following him. As I read that this week, the first time I went through it, I was like, there's really not much of a sermon there. There's not really much of a sermon there. But God said, you're wrong. You're wrong. And I'm going to show you that there's an incredible sermon there. And so I want you to keep dwelling on that. Have you ever allowed yourself in going through God's word instead of reading it, instead of passing through it and saying, okay, I got to get my reading in. I got to make it through the Bible in one year. I I did my allocated chapters, my allocated verses for the day. Wrap it up, close the book. Now let's get on to business. Let's get on with my stuff. You ever allow and invite God, God instruct me. Examine me as David the psalmist said. Know my heart and my thoughts. And God said, Kevin, I'm going to show you. When he, God, having come down from the mountain, see, we were talking just this Wednesday night in our fundamentals of the faith class, and someone said, Pastor, one of the things that just really struck me in my relationship with Jesus is that I acknowledged him as Savior. I acknowledged Him as uh, the one who died for my sins, as a Redeemer, but I never truly wrapped my brain and my heart around the idea of Jesus Christ being God. Emmanuel, God with us. And see, God, Jesus, having come down from the mountain, right there we should all just stop. And if we really understood who Jesus is and we understood the context, then it would cause us just to fall down on our faces and all of the music ministry folks would run back up here and we would just break out in song and praise Him. Jesus, you did what? You stepped down from heaven and came to this earth, allowed yourself to be born in a manger, in a filthy feeding trough for me. And if you're sitting there and that doesn't do anything inside of your heart and inside of your life and cause you to radically examine everything that you know and you do, I wonder if we had an AED, a defibrillator, is it like maybe I could go over and ba-ba, clear. And see, that's what Scripture does. It's the AED of our spiritual lives. And if somebody hits you with the paddles, if somebody hits you with God's word and flatline, spiritually dead. And you read about the fact that having come down from the mountain. That's Jesus. See, God in Genesis 1.1, he created, we didn't. God erupts into creation. Not E erupts the letter E, but I erupts with an I. He breaks into creation. In Genesis chapter 2, He formed us out of the dirt. Do you realize that for God to do that, that he had to get down here on earth and he had his hands dirty? And I think that when we think about that, that it never really penetrates our minds. That we think that God did some sterile act from up in the heavens. God came down and He formed the man out of the dirt and He breathed the breath of life into His nostrils. And if you're still flatlined, come on! God! He breathed His divine breath and then He dedicated us. He Dedicated the man in the garden. See, God didn't just create us to crank levers and do the do the stuff that God in Greek mythology and a lot of the ancient Near Eastern cultures, that the gods that they believed in that are false gods and not gods at all, and the mythologies that went along with them, they couldn't imagine a God who was a sovereign creative being, creative being that would make people for relationship. It never entered their minds. And see, people, the answer to the idea of why is there pain and suffering in the world, they asked it back then, just like we do now. And what they came up with is, well, that's what the gods want us to do. The gods want us to suffer. We're slaves, and we're just going through life. And we're doing all the stuff that the gods don't want us to do. But the one true God, Father, Son, and Spirit, that's not why He created us. He created us with purpose and function to glorify Him. But see, that's not even the best part. See, because God could have created, and God certainly did erupt into creation. But when we rebelled in Eden, God could have turned His back on us and just walked away. And been completely justified in doing so. But even after rebellion, God, almighty, holy, perfect, condescends. He still wants to be a part of our lives. So much so, he pursued them in the garden. Do you all realize that? The reason why Adam heard him in the trees was because God was pursuing him. He had a conversation with sinners in the garden. Oftentimes in our theology we say, God can't have anything to do with sin. God has everything to do with us as sinners, therefore He has to do with sin. The reality is that God's got an answer for it, and that's Jesus Christ. He not only has only condescended he not only came into the garden he not only had a conversation but he promised that he personally was going to resolve the problem of sin he made a promise to eve that he was going to send the serpent crusher he made a covenant with abram that all the nations on earth all the peoples all the families would be blessed he, cut a, he had Abram cut a blood path in Genesis 15 and God himself manifests as this smoking firepot, walking through the pieces of this covenant saying that I'm the one who's going to be responsible for both sides. Even though you're going to fail, I'm still going to pay. And we see that at the cross of Jesus Christ. And I just wonder... When you come to this, Matthew 8.1, having come down from the mountain, do we just gloss over that? He had a vast crowd following Him. So what is my point? Emmanuel condescends for sinners. Emmanuel, God with us, condescends for sinners. See this omnipotent, Holy, eternal God, omnipotent God, won't use His power to force us. We're going through a study, a discussion group of the Screwtape letters, such a wonderful book by C.S. Lewis. Screwtape, the demon, is writing to his nephew, Wormwood, and one of the things that he talks about in one of the letters is just the contrast between the way God operates, he calls him the enemy... And the way that their father below, Satan, operates, is that Satan wants to consume, he wants to absorb, he wants to force you into doing things, and we give ourselves over willingly to him. And what God wants to do, C.S. Lewis writes, is he wants to woo us. That's why he doesn't force us to love him. He woos us. If you look at the cross, you see God wooing us in and through the sun 8 1 Having come down from the mountain, he had a vast crowd following him. Do you know how we know that that's God? Do you know how we know that Jesus is God? See, because every one of us, if that was us coming down from the mountain and there was a vast crowd following us, we'd say, Mission accomplished. I got a crowd, right? I got a thousand people following me on Twitter, on Snapchat. I got people linked into my YouTube channel. I got all these friends on Facebook. I got a crowd. Mission accomplished. Right? That's where we'd be satisfied. See, that's because what we want to do is we want to build a brand, and what Jesus wanted to do was to condescend to save sinners like you and me. But see, the reality is, is that. Emmanuel, Jesus, had no interest in the crowd. You might say, hold up there. Well, we're going to see it in just a second. Jesus isn't interested in the crowd. And we see it over and over again. We're so easily distracted from the mission. Just a quick story. I don't tell a lot of stories, but just a quick story. A couple weeks ago, Connor and I were playing a game at home. And the point of the game is... To simplify it, was is that Connor was supposed to storm the castle, go inside the, go inside the castle and get the treasure. And I told him in the adventure that we were doing, I said, when you go up to the castle, I said, there's a giant chicken, just to be funny. And I said, this giant chicken is attacking you. And so Connor, you know, being the powerful knight that he was, he defeated the giant chicken. And he said, well, Papa, I'm tired, even though the adventure had just started. said, Papa, I'm tired. I should probably go get a nap and something to eat. Because that's how Connor thinks in reality. So I said, okay, you go and you get something to eat and you take a nap. And I said, now that you wake up, I said, now there's this big dead chicken over there. And I said, there's these buzzards and there's flies and everything over there. I said, well, what are you going to do, Connor? And Connor said, well, I'm going to pick up a rock and I'm going to start shooing flies. Why do I tell that story? Because that's the church is that we lose sight that there's a treasure out there that we're supposed to be going after. And instead what we do is we go over to this big dead chicken with a rock in our hand and we try to shoo flies. We miss the mission! Go after the treasure, Connor. And he said, yeah, Dad, that's what I want to do. I want to go after the treasure. Emmanuel's not interested in the crowd. See, we're also equipped with the gospel. We're equipped by God, but we are equipped with the gospel. This next one. I just want you to read the first two words. A singular leper. A leper. Pause. A leper. Emmanuel pursues the one. Unlike us, Hey, hey, Pastor Kevin, how many are you running over there in Sunday school at Poetry? How many are you running on Sunday morning? How many baptisms have you done in the past year? Got a call from one of the state conventions a while back. Nobody had reached out to me or contacted me. And the first year that I'd been the pastor, and the first phone call that I get, they say, hey, we're getting ready for our state convention, and we just want some numbers. How many are you running on Sunday? How many baptisms have you done? We don't really want to know if you're doing okay. We don't want to know about the health of your church. We just want to know about the numbers. See, because we chase after the crowd. And Jesus chases after the one. He pursues the one. And thank God, praise Jesus that he does. He doesn't have the same strategy. That we would have. Let's go over the most impact. How about if we just are obedient to the ministry that God gives us today? Because Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. It's got enough of its own stuff. And I'm going to handle that. See, I'm omnipotent. I'm omniscient. I'm weaving all of this stuff together in my sovereignty I'm going to take care of all the details. Stop worrying because with all your worry, you're accomplishing nothing except for removing yourself and wasting energy that could be spent on the mission of God worrying about a million possible outcomes. Stop! Be faithful to the ministry that God gives us. Hey, that's right. Emmanuel pursues the one. Jesus didn't come down didn't chase after the crowd. He wasn't interested in branding. He wasn't interested in a marketing campaign. He was interested in the one, the leper, the one that was unclean. A leper having come, worshipped. Do you all see that? He worshipped him saying it's just the words that are coming out of his mouth. See, what we do is we even call Worship, well, that's a certain kind of music. There's praise and worship music. Worship means that I get up to the front and I get down on my face, or I'm at home and I'm doing... It's like worship is any time that we approach God as God. That's worship. It can be in song. It can be in prayer. It can be in faithfulness. It can be in mowing the lawn outside. It's in faithfulness to the ministry that God has called you to is worship. Worship. Holy Spirit worked in the heart and the life of that leper. What that leper did, he responded. And he came. As Jesus came down, he was going up. And there was that divine meeting between God, Emmanuel, and a sinner. Someone who was unclean. This leper, having come, worshipped him, saying, If you are willing, you're able to cleanse me. Do you see it? The leper didn't just recognize Jesus as being someone who, hey, you've got a prescription for some antibacterial medication that I could put on my skin. And if you're willing, you could write me a prescription, Jesus. That's not what's happening here. Is this leper recognized who Jesus was as God, Emmanuel, coming down from the mountain? And he went up, and it says he worshipped him, saying, if... You are willing if you're willing. No apologetics, no rhetoric, no debate. Oftentimes as a pastor, people say, Pastor, could you talk to a friend of mine because they have some questions? I'll be happy to talk to your friend. But y'all want to know something? Is the reality is, is that if somebody's still got question, they're not in a state of worship. Is see, when all of that junk, all of our questions, all of our obstacles, all of our objections... See, at some point, they're all going to go away. We can hold on to them, and they're kind of like mist and vapor. Is there's no substance to them. Because Jesus is God. And all of our objections, everything that we want to know, the reality is about the gospel, is that we're all sinners. And what we want to do is we want to try to find some way... That we can bend things and twist them and orchestrate them in a way so that we can kind of put that up in front of the reality that God is who He is. And then we don't have to owe Him what it is that we really owe Him as God. Repentance. Repentance is true worship. No more apologetics, no more rhetoric. See, when you realize that you're a sinner, you come to Jesus as God and you worship. And that repentance is true worship. Have you ever done that? Have you ever repented? Have you ever really turned away from your sin? Or have you just kind of put it on pause? And said, you know what, I'm going to go dabble in this Jesus thing. I'm going to go ask some questions. I may even, you know, kind of try Christianity on for size. I've done the New Age thing. I tried Buddha. I tried a little Confucius. I tried pragmatism. I tried just kind of living life for myself and forget everybody else. And none of that stuff has really worked out for me. Maybe you've tried another religion. Maybe you tried Scientology. Maybe you tried Mormonism. I don't know what you've tried, but see, it's all false. It's all lies. Because Christianity tells you that the only way that we come is through (coughs) repentance. The culture that we live in today tells us that we're supposed to tolerate. We're supposed to tolerate, right? And we do. We tolerate. doesn't mean that we have to accept it. We don't go out as some of, the, some of the Baptist churches have done that get the negative publicity on Facebook and social media that go out and they pick it and they carry the hate flags and the hate signs against the LGBT community. See, we don't do that. We don't speak hate speech because the reality is, is that's sin and we're all sinners. Jesus tolerates us because he's put judgment on pause for a time. So that he can woo us and he can bring us into the kingdom. Jesus tolerates our sin for now, but the one thing that he doesn't do, that culture tells us we need to, culture says, you better accept me. Accept me for who I am, the way I am. Jesus doesn't. He'll invite you to come, but when you come, what you had to do in order to come was you had to turn. You had to repent. Repentance is true worship. can recognize, shared with those kids just a moment ago, recognition of Jesus and who He is, it's insufficient. The Bible tells us that even the demons believe and tremble. you all know that? Even the demons recognize Jesus for who He is. They know that He's God. They just refuse to worship Him. They turned away. They repent. And see, a confession is insufficient. We think, well, I'll recognize Jesus for who He is, and I'll confess my sins, and everything will be good. But we never repent. Confession is insufficient. We read in one of Paul's epistles, says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. There's a point that's coming in the very near future where everyone is going to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Everyone is. But he's still going to separate the sheep and the goats. And the difference is going to be who's repented. Who really knows me intimately as Lord? Recognition and confession are insufficient. Have you repented? Equipped for glory. Glory. Equipped for glory, that's the third one. Not merely merely with, recipients. I want you to see this. As God raised us up with Christ, seated us with Him in the heavenly realms. Not merely with, but God's glory isn't for us. Not the end user. And see, that's the problem, I think, with many Christians today. Is that we think we're the end user. We think that we are the recipient, the end user of God's grace and His glory. And once I've got it, personal salvation being the top of the mountain, I've got it. What else do I need to do? If I'm saved, I'm good. I don't have to do anything else. What does that tell you about yourself? When Paul says that we should consider others as being more important than ourselves. When Jesus, at the Last Supper, takes off his outer garment, God, Emmanuel, washes the feet of his disciple, and he says, you need to do the same. You need to do the same thing. And some churches have turned that into, oh, well, what we need to do is have a ceremony of washing feet. And then we miss the point! What Jesus is saying is that we need to serve one another. Salvation isn't the end-all, be-all. It's not the destination. Having stretched out his hand, this is verse 3. Having stretched out his hand, he touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Having stretched out Emmanuel, he's willing enable to cleanse. Oh my goodness. Have you ever known someone maybe a friend, maybe even a family member who just wanted you to be an enabler? You ever known someone like that? Don't ask questions. If you're going to help me, keep your mouth shut. Don't try to hold me accountable. Don't start digging into stuff that's none of your business. All I want you to do is to be an enabler. Tell me that I'm okay and that I'm good enough. Don't tell me that anything has to change. And see, Jesus isn't having it. He's not a cosmic enabler. He's not a grand vending machine in the sky. That when we decide that stuff needs to change in our lives, that we go up to Jesus and we say, Keep your mouth shut, Jesus. I don't want to hear any of that nonsense about the Bible and about scripture and about repentance. I just want you to do a work in my life and make me happy. And if you can't do that, then what kind of God are you? What kind of God are you if you can't make somebody happy? See, that's what we want. is We want Jesus to be a cosmic enabler. But what Jesus requires of us is repentance. And says here that when we respond by the Spirit, by grace, through faith, when we turn and we repent and it becomes worship, then Jesus says, I am willing to be cleansed. Do you notice the question that the leper asked him? If you're willing. Why did Jesus come? He didn't step down from heaven and empty himself and allow himself to be born into a manger because he's not willing that he wanted to simply taunt us. Oh, I'm not willing. I'm not willing, Mike. I'm not willing, Sue. I just wanted to come down here and I wanted to watch us struggle. I wanted to see you kind of just revel in your sin and watch your life come unglued and come up to me and recognize me and hail me as God and that I just wanted to laugh at you. (laughs) That's not who Jesus is. And how we know that is because we look to the cross. Are you willing, Jesus? Jesus says, I am willing. And immediately... His leprosy was cleansed. I don't know about you, there's a lot of people out there that think that following Jesus, that it's a process. And I wouldn't deny that when God foreknows, and He's predestined those for salvation, that to some extent, the Spirit works in our lives. All throughout, and protects us from things guides us shapes us and then at some point jesus knows somehow by his divine knowledge by his divine wisdom he knows that at some point when the spirit works in our lives that that irresistible grace oh he's going to get a hold of us and we're going to realize and we're going to turn and we're going to worship and see that's the moment of salvation but some people think well it's just a process it says right there, immediately. See, when you come and you worship and you leave it all behind, it's immediate. It's a defining moment in your life. Have you done that? Emmanuel is willing and able to cleanse. I don't know about you, but that's pretty exciting. Jesus, Emmanuel, is willing and able to cleanse. Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Man, there's just so much here. I think we could do an entire weekend workshop just on this one verse. We're not going to do that sermon today, but my goodness, I don't know if you're familiar with Leviticus 13 and 14. As I was reading through this, I asked myself, what was the gift Moses commanded? In Leviticus, there's an entire chapter that's taken up about skin diseases. And it's disgusting. And it's talking about oozing and redness, flaking, all kind of nasty, disgusting discharges. What you're supposed to see and what it looks like and hair follicles. All these kinds of things. That's Leviticus 13. That's how you know whether or not somebody's unclean. And the person who had a skin disease that we would call a leper, they had to be in exile. They were outside the community. In Scripture, Old Testament says that they had to tear their clothes so that visually you could identify someone. As you're looking out, you see the person with the torn clothes and something covering up their mouth. And if they were in eye shot of someone, if you could see someone, what you had to do as a leper was you had to call out and say, unclean, unclean. To say, don't come any closer to me because I don't know if I'm contagious. And so what people would do is that they would steer clear and they would go around. And when we go back to the very beginning of this, when he, Jesus, came down from the mountain, the large crowd followed him, right away a man with leprosy. This serious skin disease came up, worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He didn't come up and say, unclean, unclean. Jesus already knew. And Jesus didn't shun away. Jesus doesn't shun away from you either. Jesus said to him, See, see that you tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded As a testimony. What's amazing about Leviticus 14 is all of the work that the priest had to do. There's an entire chapter talking about birds and lambs and blood and scarlet yarn and all of these things and these elaborate processes and procedures that you had to go through as the priest. So I could just imagine as a priest when a leper came up and said, Hey, priest Kevin. I just want you to check me because I'm pretty sure I'm unclean. The priest had to make sure. So there's this long process. Oh, goodness. Here comes Mike again, thinking that he's clean. We're going to go through all of this and we're going to be about five or six days in and we're going to figure out, oh, wait, there's some pus coming out over here. There's a little bit of ooze back outside the camp. And then another week or two, Mike's going to come back and he's going to say, Priest, I think I'm unclean. And all the work has to start all over again. And I can just imagine that as the priest who's sitting in the temple, when people came up and said, Hey, I'm a guy that used to be a leper, that the first thing that would go through a priest's mind was, Oh, man, seriously? I got to do all this. Let me make sure I got the yarn and the birds and I got the lamb and I got all the procedures. Let me go through the checklist. It's more extensive than taking off in an airplane. You got to do all this stuff. And y'all realize that when Jesus said it, he didn't have to do any of that stuff. Immediately, the leper was clean. And Jesus said, I want you to go and I want you to show yourself. And what you're going to do is you're going to be a testimony of who I am. Everything that's in the Old Testament is now obsolete. The law is fulfilled in me. The Levitical system fulfilled in me. All the sacrifices fulfilled in me. The tabernacle, the temple, they all pointed to me. The priesthood, I'm the high priest. See, so when I say you're cleansed, you don't have to go through any of that stuff. Do you all realize that? And so when Jesus said, I want you to go, and I want you to show, and it said to be a testimony to them, Jesus was telling this man, I want you to go on mission. I want you to go and show. Do we do that? See, when we go and we show, and we tell other people about what God has done, the immediacy, the extent of the reconciliation... The extent of the sin that God dealt with. And it wasn't a process. It wasn't a procedure. It wasn't a checklist. He didn't assign a bunch of books for us to read. He didn't say we had to go to seminary in order to be worthy. He didn't say we had to go to Jerusalem, climb a mountain, kiss a wall, bathe in water. We didn't have to do anything except repent from our sin. And immediately, we're healed. I don't know, but... I don't know how you feel about it, but I think that's pretty incredible. Shared the gospel with those kids this morning. I don't know if you heard it this morning, but I hope you did. I hope you heard the gospel in that. I was thinking about this, and oftentimes in the past, I'd wonder if somebody asked me, like, Pastor, where can you go in Scripture? and just, I mean, just go to a, a very specific place and see the gospel presented. I would say Matthew, chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. See, because there's four aspects to the gospel. God, when he came down from the mountain, Emmanuel, Jesus, God, came down, not just from that mountain, not just after the Sermon on the Mount, but he came down from heaven and he emptied himself. He allowed himself to go to a cross. He died for our sins. He bore our iniquities came down from the mountain large crowds followed him right away a man with leprosy a serious skin disease came up knelt before him saying see the second part is is our sin many of us don't want to grapple with that aspect of it we want to ask Jesus into our hearts we want to say we're going to make him the boss of our lives but we never confess we never recognize and more importantly we never truly repent there's a Christian song out there that is contemporary. says, I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. And when I hear that song, it breaks my heart. See, because what we want is we want more of God, but we don't want all of them. And what God wants is all of us. And so when I sing that song in my car, what I do is I change the words. And I say, I want all of you. And I want you to have... All of me. If that's not your song, if that's not your praise, everything we do is unto the Lord. Whether you're sitting here, whether you're mowing the lawn, whether you're sitting at work, whether you're running a company, whether you're taking a nap, do everything is unto the Lord. See, God is God, and we're sinners. That means we're not God. That means we're destined to be separated from God from all eternity. So when people say, how could a loving God send His creation to hell for all eternity? I tell them God doesn't. God gave us a choice. We could have been obedient, we could have worshipped, and we chose otherwise. We made that choice to separate ourselves, to be dead and fracture that relationship. And God could have left it there, but He didn't. Emmanuel, God with us, He stepped down from heaven. He came down from the mountain. And then the fourth part of the gospel is action. I don't know where you are today. I don't know where you are in your walk. I wonder if you're somebody who's maybe simply made a confession. I wonder if you're somebody who's simply recognized Jesus being God but never truly repented. I pray that as the Word was preached today and the Spirit moved, that your heart was moved. And He did that work that we were reading from Ephesians chapter 2. Grace by faith alone, not by works, so that no one can boast.